This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by Audible. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash excuse for free trial membership. This is Writing Excuses, Season 5, Episode 11, Microcasting Number 2. 15 minutes long, three minutes at a time, because you're in a hurry. And we're not smart enough to do that math. I'm Brandon. I'm Dan. I'm smart enough to do that math. It's All right. five. <laughs> By three. Brandon, go! What? All right, first question comes from Shivan Shivam on Facebook. He asks, how do you do bad things to your hero characters without feeling bad about it? I actually don't. You don't um, feel bad about it, or you don't do bad things to your I, heroes? I do bad things to my heroes, and I feel their pain. Okay. It's an emotional it's an emotional roller coaster for me, and I feel like if it's not, I've done something wrong. Okay, so what you're saying is the I don't meaning I don't care if I do this because I think it's good to feel bad about what I'm doing to my characters. Right. Absolutely. I think it's good to feel bad about the bad things I'm doing to good people. Okay. I my my books in my books depend upon me feeling bad because I need the reader to feel bad about the things I'm doing to my character. I think That's that if you're not feeling bad about having done it... It's not bad enough. Or you're not doing it right. Um, or you're not a good person. Or... What's three times five again? <laughs> um, I will throw in here, I guess I'm a bad person or what? I don't feel bad. Um, now the reason for that being is I'm an outliner, which is very different from you guys. I know from book page one, word one, usually that in book three, these characters are going to die in this specific way. I have years to get ready for it. By the time I'm writing it, it's, it's actually cathartic. It's you're, like, you're oh, emotionally detached. I'm finally getting yeah. this down on the page. That, we can finally read the end of the story. heartless, cruel yeah. man. The, I do a horrible thing to a very wonderful person in the third book of my series, and I feel bad about it every time I read it. I just went through and did proofs and on the galleys a couple weeks ago. I felt horrible. So between Brandon and Dan, which of you is actually the sociopath? Ooh. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> um, from Gary on Facebook. How far into writing a novel should you begin letting others read it for feedback? Is it a page number or once you get concerned? 16. <laughs> Next <Once>. question. No. Um, <laughs> for new writers, I generally suggest, my rule of thumb, give it to them when you are finished with the story. Yeah. Now, that's not always feasible. There's a couple of reasons why it might not be feasible. You might be wanting feedback because you're having trouble mm -hmm. finishing the story. Or you might be wanting to use your writing group to give you motivation to keep going. You might suffer yeah. from the same disease that us web cartoonists suffer from, which is I desperately need validation from other human beings <laughs> in order to continue living, and so I created a web comic. Well, when, when, uh, when Brandon and I started our writing group like 11 years ago, um, I would basically write week by week. I would write a chapter and submit it to our writing group as soon as I was done with it. And that is what kept me going was mm -hmm. the deadline of I have to have something finished so I can get it to my writing group. That's not ideal. No. But it, it works it kept for me a lot writing. of people. It really does. Um, and it is a way to motivate yourself. Now, the reason I give this warning is because um, story hijacking happens much more frequently mm -hmm. if you are still brainstorming your story Absolutely. and still, you know, not sure where you're going to go. 
the writing group full of creative people can then turn your story into that, that writing different. group with Brandon and I, my brother joined, and mm -hmm. we destroyed his novel. Yeah. Because he was trying to write something he wasn't entirely certain what he wanted it to be. We thought we knew what it should be, and mm -hmm. we, we absolutely destroyed it. Yeah, we were not very good writing group <laughs> workshoppers at that point. We hadn't learned some of these lessons. But also he... That, I, mm -hmm. and, um, and he took our comments to heart uh, much too strongly. Yeah. And the next week he would come in having written a new chapter based not on where his story wanted to be, but based on our comments. Right. And so let me ask this question. Is Robison Wells a better novelist for having had that experience? Yes. Of course. And are you better <laughs> critiquers for I, having screwed him over so badly? Yes, I, I hope so. Um, honestly, I think we all could have learned that lesson if someone just would have told us. You probably of time. could have learned the lesson but more we cheaply. are telling you right now, which is, you know, don't let people hijack your story. Don't take too many comments too strongly. Um, I mean... Ideally, you want to get to the point where you are self-motivated, you are writing your stories and finishing them completely on your own without needing the writing group, and then you are using the writing group to give you feedback on the medium-level issues. Not the large-scale issues, but the medium-level issues of this chapter has this problem, I'm going to look at fixing it. And so, mm -hmm. um, if you're having trouble writing, yes, using a writing group as a crutch at the beginning can be very helpful, but I really want to see you get beyond that. This also really depends on who you're giving it to. Yeah. If you're giving it to someone and all they are handing back is a proofread, yeah. then that isn't going to change the direction of your right. story. Or if, if you give saying, it to someone job, and they say, going. this character's horrible and your world building is stupid and I think your story should be about a horse instead, yeah. that's the wrong person to give yeah, it to. Don't, don't, don't hand your space opera to your you know, 19th century lit professor. <laughs> or yeah. just to anyone who is going to tell you big sweeping changes because they think they know your story better than right. you do. Well, and that's, I mean, that's, that's a good thing to point out. The person didn't ask about writing group. They actually just asked yeah. about feedback. And, you know, getting used to getting feedback, though, is a very useful thing to, for you. And so hiding in your closet and not showing your work to, to people can be good, but eventually you're going to have to get that thick skin. So, yeah. Anyway, let's go on to the next one. Um, this one plays off of what was before, but I'm, I'm going to go ahead and say it anyway because it's from uh, Sean Speakman, who's actually a pretty fine writer on his own. He, um, he runs the signed page. He does, um, does book signings. Anyway, it's a nice guy. Um, do the bad things you do to your characters always have to suit the story? I am going to hem and haw over the definition of suit the story. Suit the story. I, I, this is kind of an interesting question because... Um, it depends on what type of story you're telling. Um, some stories, I mean, in George R. R. Martin, you know, the bad things he does are the story. The story yeah. in some ways is, you know, the, this is a terrible, brutal world, so the bad things are the tone of the story. Um, and yet, sometimes when you're writing a book, I mean, I think what he might be asking is, if you have a pretty lighthearted book all along, is it okay to still kill people at the end? Totally. How do you not, how do you so. do that without breaking a promise to a reader? I mean, Howard, you do a, a comic that is funny. It is yeah. legitimately funny. You are lighthearted, and then people die, people mm -hmm. that you like. How do you? I mean, I assume people get angry about you at you for this. I, yeah, I, they've only gotten angry at me when the death has felt uh, cheap or unmotivated or not appropriately set up. Uh, I mean, when I killed Tagon. Um, I got nothing but fan mail 
about that for weeks. Uh, there were people who complained when I brought him back, but <laughs> I didn't worry about that because I'd al I always mm -hmm. knew I was going to do that. I wanted to tell a time travel story. Um, I think that... Uh, I, I think that the definition of suit the story, mm -hmm. if the if the bad thing that happens is so abrupt and so jarring and so different from everything else that went into the story that it feels like it doesn't fit, then you probably did something wrong. But then there's what, what was the movie uh, Million Dollar Baby? Spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. Uh, you know, something horrible happens in the last act of that uh, that movie that you think is just a movie about a woman becoming a good boxer. Mm -hmm. um, and you realize that the bad thing suited the story by virtue of changing the whole story out from under you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Let's go ahead and do our book of the week. Uh, Dan has our book of the week this week as well. Yes, we are going to talk about Fight Club by Chuck Palahniuk. Um, most of you, I, I assume or hope, have seen the movie. It's a fantastic movie. Uh, the book is just as good and in some ways better and in some ways worse, but highly recommendable. If you've never read a Chuck Palahniuk, he is incredibly poetic with his language, which is an odd thing to say about a story about... Um, crazy psychopathic people that beat each other up for fun but it is it's very well written the language is gorgeous to read the story is very clever um it's just a, an all-around fantastic book now do we have to give a content warning on this one yes we have to give a very strong content warning okay. on this one strong language um some sex but i don't think it's ever graphic it's just mentioned and punching and there is punching as well. There's also kicking some some biting. other kind of gruesome violence in it. It's a yeah. pretty gory book with a lot of bad words in it. Okay. It's also great and I recommend <laughs> it. <laughs> so go to audiblepodcast.com slash excuse to start your fifteen day free trial and download a free audiobook. All right, let's keep going. A V Roberts asks, how do you design frightening monsters? Ooh. Um, I take away the eyebrows. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the same thing I do. <laughs> you, you're still detachable, then you can take them off of other people and put them on you. Yeah. And it makes you feel yeah. better. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, no, Dan, how do you design frightening? How, how, how do you make your creatures frightening? You have books with creatures that yes, are frightening. I do. They are frightening. I make them frightening, ironically, by having them do uh, fairly mundane things, mm -hmm. honestly. Um, because they are things that people can relate to. Uh, you know, a, a, a monster that uh, can attack you out of nowhere and turn into mist or whatever, yes, that's scary, but your next-door neighbor who has a row of heads on his shelf, that's very frightening. It, it, right. it has a sense of this could actually happen to right. it, and I love that. The, the reality, making it real, mm -hmm. um, makes it more frightening. Um, you know, and then there's the old standby. You know, when you show the monster, it becomes infinitely less frightening. Yeah, the monster that you are imagining is far, far more frightening than anything I can draw yeah. or anything I can uh, describe in words. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And so the, the more of it you can keep in the shadows, uh, yeah. 
as a rule of thumb, that you know, that's one way to accomplish it. Yeah. Dan, I don't know how much of your monsters you're necessarily keeping in the shadow. No, well, he's and, using the mundane. That's, I mean, that's, the, yeah. the mundane is terrifying. Yeah. Well, and, um, and that's the thing is, is both of my books, I reveal, both the ones that are out so far, I reveal who the monster is and what they do halfway through. And that shocked a lot of people when the first one came out. Mm -hmm. Is they knew who the killer was halfway through, uh, and at, from that point on, the killer would the, the the scares no longer came from I don't know what's going on, but right. I do know what's going on, and it could happen at any time. Right. Well, it turns mystery into, into suspense, like yes. we talked about. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, we we but the book of the week we promoted a couple of weeks back, Hyperion does a wonderful job of this um, because there is a monster, the, the creature that they're going to. The Shrike. And um, it is legitimately frightening in places, um, and it's be because of it not actually being shown or understood. And so... Except on the cover. Yeah, except <laughs> poorly on the cover. Um, but anyway, all right. Let's go on to the next one. How far into the outlining process, this is from Casey, do you actually start writing? Just a quick one. Um, the, the, the point at which I feel like I am excited and want to start writing? The point at which <laughs> I'm in a dead panic about not being far enough ahead on the comic. Um, but I better just throw a strip out there. <laughs> Hope this fits the story. Um, I've done that. I, I've started some fun stories that mm -hmm. way. My, my process in outlining is that I will outline, I will try to do a chapter by chapter um, outline, and once I have a good sense of where the story is going, where it needs to end, and more or less how it needs to get there, I will just start writing it, because yeah. I know I'm going to come up with more cool ideas, and that if I over-outline it, um, then I, I feel like that's too restrictive. I need okay. to keep my outline loose. Yeah, I know that if... I don't want to say the exact same thing you just said, said. I know that if I've outlined it far enough that I can kind of see the shape of what might happen in Act 3, then whatever sorts of problems, roadblocks, obstacles I run up against, you know, painting myself into a corner in the first two acts, uh, I'll be able to figure it out. Let's go. Mm -hmm. yeah, my answer to this is um, when it's done. <laughs> yeah. and that's a bad answer because it doesn't give you very much detail, but um, it, it varies very much based on the books. Um, some of them, I feel my outline is done after I've done one page of outlining. Um, and some, I don't feel my outline is done until I've done 20,000 words. Mm -hmm. um, and it really depends on the project. I generally outline a lot more than what you guys are saying that you do. Yeah, yeah. my friend Daniel Willis, I think, uh, usually outlines uh, 10,000 words of outline. Well, and as you outline, especially the more you write, you know, you, you will get a sense of, I can tell from this outline that I have enough to start. Or I can tell based on this outline that I still am not certain and that when I get to chapter three, I won't be ready for it. I Sand need to outline more. Sandra was commenting on the outline for the, the last action bits in the current Schlock story. And she said, oh, that's interesting. You've got three days here where... Uh, the scripted action is mayhem, mayhem, and mayhem. Do you know what's going to happen here? And I said, mm, yes, mayhem. mayhem. <laughs> I, I'm, I can pull something out it's of that just fine. 20 elephants punching each other. There's going to be at least one elephant punching. Nice. All right. Well, um, let's go ahead and go with the writing prompt. And I'm going to say, Howard, give it to us. Um, you... 
in, in an extremely, extremely spur of the moment sort of uh, living in the moment thing, have decided that instead of Fight Club, it's Zoo Club, and you have just punched an elephant hard. <laughs> what happens next? All right, you get arrested. <laughs> this has been writing excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go to jail. <laughs> If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storyteller's stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus. 